Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Matthew 6 and 24. No one, no one. Now, I could stop there and just preach. Because no one means me and no one means you. No one means all of us. And yet, there are people who seem to make their life mission out to try to prove this verse wrong. Well, you can't prove it wrong because Jesus said it. And uh, Jesus is absolutely the truth and taught without error. But no one can serve two masters. It's not possible. No one. For either he will hate the one or love the other. Or else he or she will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon money. Now, last time in Money Mentalities, I talked about how this is a way that we serve God with all of our strength, which is the greatest commandment part of it, is that through our obedience to Him in our career and in our job, our strength, when we use it to serve God and worship God, provides finances. And that correlates then with our loyalty and our love through the first fruits or the increase that comes about as we love God with our strength uh, through our place of employment, through where God has positioned and placed us. And so today I'm going to continue teaching on money mentality. So it's money mentalities part two today. And we're going to look at ways of thinking biblically and unbiblical ways of thinking regarding finances. Regarding finances. At first I thought I would teach today on moving beyond the tithe and the principle of first fruits and and showing our loyalty and service and love to God through the result of our labor, our work, and talk about giving and receiving and seed and giving to the poor and the other means of giving. But that's not where I was led today. And uh, so we're going to continue looking at these money mentalities. But before we move forward, I want to pray. Father, I thank you that the name of Jesus is above every name. And I thank you the kingdom of God is at hand. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would communicate the reality of Christ and the kingdom of God and spiritual truth to hearts and minds today. That, Lord, wrong thinking and strongholds would be pulled down in Jesus' name. That, Holy Spirit, you would administer the righteousness of the kingdom and the liberty of the kingdom. Make much of Jesus. I yield to you, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I was in a meeting recently when another participant was talking about an issue we were discussing. And this person referred to people's mentado. Now, this person meant to say mentality, but instead it came out mentado. And we did what any decent meeting would do. We all busted out laughing. But you know, there was something catchy 
about that word to me. Mentoddle. They got it right there. Mentoddle. See, the word toddle, T-O-D-D-L-E, means to move with unsteady steps as a young baby or young child. Mentality, of course, refers to the thought processes of a person. So when you combine mentality and toddle into the word mentoddle, it really paints a great picture of so many people regarding issues of life. Also regarding the issue of life, of money, and finances. You have people that have an immature understanding, an immature way of thinking that is in a sense being double-minded. Maybe if you're familiar with scripture, James, who wrote the, the book of James, he said that a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. They're mentado. That because they have wrong thinking, baby-like thinking, it leads to instability in the way they live. And I thought about, oh my goodness, how many Western Christians, Western world American Christians does this actually speak to when it comes to money and finances? There is so much mentado. Wrong thinking, immature thinking that then affects them living unstable in the area of money and finances. Mentado. And if you're a child of God today, a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to say up front that God has more for His children than us live with what we're calling the mentado syndrome. Mentado syndrome. This brings us to what Jesus said. It's the main text of this series. No one can serve two masters. No, not you, not me, not any of us. For either he or she will hate the one and love the other, or else he or she will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon money. Now, Jesus in the days of his ministry, he said this. This was his teaching. This is a core teaching of his. But it's important to understand that Jesus, was, when he was born and when he ministered and began his ministry around the age of 30, that he ministered while the old covenant or the law of Moses was still in force. Still enforced. Now there have been numerous people that have not understood that. And because they've not understood that, it's led to numerous errors over the years. For instance, there are some things Jesus told people to do that's impossible to do today. So he sent someone, he said, go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices Moses requires. Well, we don't have a sacrificial system where we're offering animals in the new covenant. So you could not obey that teaching. So you got to understand that Jesus, because he taught under the law, and under the time where the Old Covenant was in force, Paul says this in Galatians 4.4, 4, that it's very important to know that distinction. However, there have people that have understood that distinction and they have fell in the other side of erroneous ditch. For instance, there are people who say, well, because Jesus preached and taught and ministered under the Old Covenant, then nothing he says 
applies to us today because we live under the new covenant. There's people who actually say, see, there's Jesus and he's old covenant. Then there's Apostle Paul who Jesus sent and new covenant. And there's no correlation or connection between them. Well, listen to me. That's grossly wrong and it's a damnable error. So listen to me. Understanding any correlation between Jesus and what he taught, even under the old covenant, and Paul, who was sent by Jesus, and what he taught, revealing the new covenant, is very, very, very important for us who live now after the new covenant has been established. So the question we got to ask ourselves up front today is what did Paul say about this matter? What did Paul say about the matter between what he taught and what he said Jesus sent him to taught and what Jesus actually taught while he was on the earth? Well, we find this. In fact, I want to do something that I, I don't think I personally ever asked you all to do in the history of dwelling place is I want us all to stand for the reading of Scripture. Will you stand with me? And for any other reason than just stand because I am having to stand, that would be good enough for you. But I want to read a large passage of text, and so I want us to stand. 1 Timothy 6, verse 1. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and His doctrine, His teaching, may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them. Because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. Verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud knowing nothing but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions. Useless wranglings of men or women of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Watch this. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Verse 11. But you, Timothy, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the great confession. Before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless unto our Lord Jesus Christ, appearing which he will manifest in his own time. He who is blessed and only penitent, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, 
nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to store, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I got that note. Some of you missed your morning devo, so I thought we'd do a large portion of Scripture reading for you. This morning. Notice here in, in all seriousness, verse 3, Paul says, If anyone teaches otherwise, does not consent to wholesome words. Paul speaks that there are wholesome words that demand, as followers of Jesus Christ, our consent. That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, these words and these teachings are not optional. They demand our consent, and if we do not consent to them, listen, we're no longer following Jesus. He says these wholesome words must be taught. It's not optional. They must be taught because they must be consented to by followers of Jesus, meaning it's not optional if you want to be faithful to Jesus. You must teach these wholesome words. He speaks of these wholesome words. He calls them there in verse 3, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one we're to be following and the one we're to be faithful to. Here Paul tells us and answers the question concerning the correlation between what Jesus taught and the days of his flesh, even though he was born under the law and ministered under the law, and what his followers under the new covenant must teach and consent to and adhere to. Paul says, listen, there's a clear connection. That the words of Jesus Christ are wholesome words. They're words that we must consent to, we must teach, we must adhere to if we're truly going to be following Jesus and faithful to Jesus. Now, most scholars believe that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy while in prison right before his uh, execution. Uh, as a believer. He died for his faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, when Paul mentions the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is possible, we don't know, but it's possible, he could be referring to one of the synoptic gospels. For instance, he could be referring to Matthew, Gospel Matthew. he could be referring to the Gospel of Mark, he could be referring to the Gospel of Luke, or He could be referring to all three of the synoptics because there are scholars who believe that by 64 AD, the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Mark, and Gospel of Luke had been written. But we don't know. But here's the point. Either way, Paul, Paul, we do create a lot of words here in this community, like mentado, so you never know. Paul speaks with confidence that he knows personally of these wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, he speaks confidently that Timothy, his mentoree, also clearly knows these teachings. Now, notice these wholesome words 
These teachings and words of our Lord Jesus Christ, they accord with godliness. That's what he says in verse 3. Meaning, the teachings of Jesus Christ are joined and connected to being godly. What a godly lifestyle, a a godly way of living looks like. That Jesus' teaching is alongside godliness. His teaching is doctrine and teaching that moves us towards and moves us forward in being godly or godliness. Jesus' teachings concern with what it looks like to practice godliness. Now, when Paul mentions these wholesome words, these words that we must consent to if we're going to be following Jesus. See, that's what I've found is to struggle with so many Christians in, in America is they know just enough of Scripture and religion to do them harm and make them miserable. For instance, most people know enough that God is their creator, that Jesus Christ came and He lived a sinless life and He was crucified, died and buried, but rose again victorious and offers His life and forgiveness and a relationship with God who wants to be more than our Creator and Father. Most people know that In American churches, it's just so many think that the rest of biblical teachings is optional to believe. Meaning, most people believe that Jesus is who He said He is in American churches. They just still believe, though, that they can create their own form of what it means to follow Him. They know just enough of the word, just enough of truth to make themselves miserable. And here's why. Because I have seen people literally spend their entire life in decades, spend so much energy and effort to do everything they can to find a way that they can still so-called be following Jesus and yet live the life they want. That they can so-called still be following Jesus and believe what they want regarding what is teachings that we must consent to and teachings that they don't want to consent to. I have found that so many in the church are miserable, not because they don't know that Jesus is king in the kingdom's hand, it's because they're still doing everything they can to find a way to live the life they want and add Jesus to it. And what I found is the reason they're still miserable is that biblical Christianity don't work that way. I'm so thankful we got the cross back up because it's like they said, it's a visible display of a truth that a crossless Christianity is a Christless Christianity. That the gospel is that We're not looking for a way to add Jesus to our existing life. The cross is a declaration that our life could do nothing for the kingdom of God and we needed to die. But Jesus died our death so that we could become a temple of His, a dwelling place of His, where then He could live His desires in His life through us. 
The reason so many believers are miserable is they're still trying to add Jesus to their life instead of realizing, no, they surrendered their life and it's no longer theirs. It's now for Jesus. And when you don't accept the cross and the reality that your life is no longer your life, but it's for Jesus, and then we don't get to decide what we want to believe or where we go, our life is completely surrendered to His Lordship. Listen, we know a lot of truth, but we don't have no peace and joy or power of God's Spirit in our life. We know just enough to make us miserable. Because biblical Christianity only works out of complete surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Not trying to add Jesus into our life. So here's Paul because he's going to attack. Because that is what I just described. That's a mentatal syndrome of a multitude of people in, in American churches. So Paul mentions these wholesome words that demand our consent. That we must consent to if we're actually practically like Pastor Craig said. Today following Jesus. So what are the teachings that Paul had in mind? Well, what did he mention in 1 Timothy 6 that we just read? Error regarding the desire to be rich, the love of money, that the rich are not to trust in their riches, but they're to lay up treasures in heaven, be rich in faith and rich in good works. He talks about certain things and uncertain things in life. And this sounds just like what Jesus said in our main text of Matthew 16 and in one of his fifth longest discourses in his ministry called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 where Jesus said, hey, you, you can't love God and love money. You can't be loyal to God and loyal to money. You cannot serve God and serve money. He said, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and thief can break in and steal, but lay up treasures in heaven. He talks about this. So we see a clear correlation. That even under the new covenant, these words, wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ, apply to us as His followers. We must consent to them. We must teach them. So much that Paul says, when they're rejected, guess what it leads to? When such words are not consented to, doctrine and teaching of what a godly life looks like, on what moving towards godliness looks like, he says, when such consent is rejected, disputes, arguments, strife over words, envy, evil suspicions, all result. Meaning this, when we move, Growing and becoming godly as the priority of our life, it leads to idleness, but idleness doesn't stay idle. It leads to godless chatter and all these other negative fruits Paul talked about. See, I have found when godliness is the priority, there's enough to be done than to just be fighting over words and strife and evil suspicions. He says, listen, when people have this mentatal syndrome in regards to the topic of godliness and money, minds get corrupted. And because minds get corrupted, their life is unstable. And it's disputing and fighting and all this difficulty. Who then, watch, he says in verse 5, this mentatal syndrome regarding godliness and money leads many who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. 
He said this mentality, this mentality, this thinking is so perverse to withdraw yourself from it that it so corrupts. It's it so becomes pervasive that you have to withdraw from it. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain? Gain means acquisition, means acquiring possessions of this world. Meaning, he said, "Hey, there are people who suppose that godliness." is a means for them to gain whatever they want in life. And he said, that is a worldly mentality that must be rejected. That is an antichrist, crossless thinking. That I'm just going to use Jesus as a way to gain the life I've always wanted. When the gospel is, no, my life, cannot be significant for the kingdom of God and I'm willing to exchange my life that can't accomplish anything for God's kingdom so that Jesus can live his life through me. Big difference. Big difference. But we find scripturally, we find before even Jesus came to the earth, before Paul, but even during the times of Paul, and we find today people who have this worldly mentality. And it leads to mentaddle. It's an immature way of thinking. It's a biblical immature way of thinking. And it leads to an unstable life. Where one day they're trying to pursue God. And the next day they're trying to pursue money. One day they're trying to gain what they want. The next day they're trying to gain what Jesus wants for them. And it's constantly unstable. And here's the point. That's why they know just enough to make them miserable. Because they're not yet surrendered to Jesus who's also the way. The way. So listen, I personally know a person who was given a book about how to get the life you want. We're talking bestseller book. Listen, the secret to obtaining whatever you want in life. Its whole focus was about how to get their wants, their desires, their dreams, and listen, it opened them up to perversion and was about to destroy everything in their life. Why? Listen, when self-seeking and selfish desires become the aim, James 3 says that that's demonic wisdom and it invites every evil thing into your life. When you make your desires God, then Jesus you are no longer following. Let me put it this way. When you and I don't keep as the goal for our life being godly, when the goal of godliness gets removed, godless chatter and much, much worse results in our life. Let me put it this way. When worldly gain is always seen as the result of godliness. So for instance, when he says suppose that godliness is a means of gain, another translation is this, supposing that gain is godliness. That's a worldly way of thinking. Or this way, supposing that gain equals godliness. Meaning this, that there's a way of thinking that if you gain the world's possessions... If things are always going good outwardly, well, that equates with godliness. 
That's a worldly way of thinking. How do we know that? Because we know people who have gained riches and gained big portfolios and gained gained money and wealth, and yet they're not godly. They're ungodly. So acquiring and gaining outwardly does not equate with godliness. doesn't equate. But there's people in churches, and there's always going to be people in the world that believe that, but in the church we have to walk away from that line of thinking who suppose that godliness is a means to get what we want out of life no no godliness is about what does the father want what does Christ want to do through us what's his desires what's his dream for this church what's his dream to live through you it's different So listen, supposing that godliness is a means to get what we want to gain and acquire in life, that's worldly mentality. Supposing that gain equals godliness is a worldly mentality. Supposing that gain equals godliness is a worldly mentality. It's anti-Christ thinking, it's against Jesus. So listen, those of us who consent with Jesus' wholesome words And teachings, we have to, in following Jesus, withdraw from such a line of thinking. And as followers of Christ, we are forced with three choices. We're forced with three choices. The first choice is this, the choice of loyal pursuit. If I'm going to consent faithfully to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to consent and be faithful in following Him, then I am forced daily with the choice of loyal pursuit. Of what? Is my loyal pursuit for gain or godliness? Gain or godliness? See, if I were to let loose two squirrels in this church in this moment, I won't, but you never know, but let me tell you, I won't today. Can't promise in the future. But listen, you cannot focus and pursue both of them at the same time or you'll never catch either of them you got to make a choice. And we have the choice as followers of Jesus Christ is what is our daily pursuit? Are we pursuing gain of the possessions and things of this world? Or are we pursuing godliness? Godliness. Now listen, you don't have to fast and pray about this. I'm just going to tell you because I love you and care for you. Listen, God's number one goal for your life, if you're His child, a follower of Jesus, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, the firstborn Son. God's number one goal for your life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, let me show you this. We're going to see that in all three of these choices, the connection biblically is clear. From Old Testament through Solomon in the book of Proverbs, all the way to Jesus when he taught, and then now to Paul unto Timothy. Okay, who by the way then he told Timothy take what I've taught you and go find other faithful persons and teach them who find it so this line, this is the cross this is the way of godliness all the way and here's what it says Proverbs 22 and verse 1 you ready? a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches loving favor rather than silver and gold notice you got a choice But wisdom, and Solomon says, a good name is better to be gained over great riches. Meaning what? A good name represents godliness. It's better to 
gain godliness than to just gain the possessions of the world. But notice here, it's a choice. It's a choice of what are you pursuing daily. What is the pursuit? What are you after? What are you running after in life? What are you practically pursuing? Are you pursuing gain or godliness? Are you pursuing a good name? Is to be chosen rather than great riches. See, listen, this is a choice that affects our loyal pursuit. Loyal pursuit. And we want to keep following Jesus. We don't want to be pursuing Jesus some seasons and then stop pursuing Jesus to pursue gain in others. We want to be loyal constantly in our choice of pursuit that we're pursuing Jesus and godliness and being conformed to the image of Him. So for instance, you can get great riches and not have a good name. You can get great riches and not be godly. So the question is, what are you going to choose? Because if you're choosing the pursuit of riches and what the world has in that gain, you can get it but not be godly. And you can get it and not have good character. So for instance, look at this, Psalms 49 and 18. Though while he lives, he blesses himself. For men will praise you when you do well for yourself. What it means is, is people around you will praise you as you succeed in the world, as you gain things in the world. People will praise you. But here's the point. It's possible to have people praise us for what we've gained of the world and yet not be godly. So you have to understand this as a follower of Jesus because this leads us to our choice. What are we actually pursuing? Do we want actually... To gain the things of this world. And maybe people will praise us. But not be godly. Meaning we're forced with this choice. What do we want to be praised for? What do we want to be praised for? And you're only. Going to know what you want to be praised for. By what you daily pursue. It goes on in verse 19 right here. In Psalms. Psalms. 49, 19, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. This is one who's gained a lot of the world, and people are praising him or her because of what they've gained in the world, but that person's going to go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see the light. A man who is in honor yet does not understand is like a beast that perishes. Here's a person that has gained a lot of assets and riches and wealth in the world, so much that people in the world have praised them, and yet this person does not understand. Doesn't understand what? That they can't take it with them. That you, listen, you can, you can gain possessions and wealth and things of the world and even honor from people in the world, but you can't take that with you into the next life before judgment. Can't take it. That's why Paul in 1 Timothy 6, what does he say? He says that we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out. You know what they forget? There's something you can take, though. You can't take what you've gained of the world, riches and assets. But you take your lack of godliness or your godliness with you. Meaning when you leave this earth and you go stand before judgment, you won't take your riches and your wealth. But listen, you'll take your character. You'll take your character. So as followers of Christ, we are forced with a choice. Will we make our loyal pursuit about godliness or gain? Now listen, maybe some of you, some of us, Men or women or people around us praise us because we've done well in the world. 
But the issue we have to ask ourselves, if, if, if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to get deep. We've got to get to the depth of the matter. The issue we really have to ask ourselves is, yeah, men and women might praise us because we've done well in the world, but the issue is, is does your heart. Because you can have people honor you and praise you in the world, but the question is, does your heart praise you? Or like Romans 2, does it condemn you? Does your heart have life? Does your heart have rest? Does your heart have contentment? See, when we have pursued as our primary pursuit gain and the things of this world over godliness, listen, we might have people praising us, but our heart will condemn us. And here's the problem. Then you might get what you pursued. You get outward things and you get the gain of this world, but you can't enjoy it because you're miserable inside. And you see it all the time. And it's not just people in the world, but it's people in the church who get the mentado, who get the mentado syndrome, who allow worldly thinking to take down. And they get what they've been pursuing, but once they get it, they got no heart at rest. No joy of the kingdom, no peace that surpasses understanding, no presence and power and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. So that's Solomon. Now let's move to Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, Matthew 6, that you're going to only be able to seek one thing first. You can't seek multiple things first. It's not possible. So he said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, the needs will be added to you. What Jesus said is, seek first godliness. Seek first the kingdom of God, God's way of doing things. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6. He said, pursue the Father in prayer choice of pursuit. He said, pursue the Father in doing good works to others. Being a blessing. He said, pursue the Father in fasting. So now we see Solomon to Jesus. It all correlates. Now let's see Paul to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 6, 11, but you, O man of God, come on, who wants to in practice live like a man of God? Women of God. You, O women of God, who in practice want to live like women of God? But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue. Everybody say, pursue. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. It's a choice of pursuit. Pursue godliness over gain. Because listen to me, Paul says, he can read on in 1 Timothy 6, if you'll pursue godliness over gain, you'll find that godliness with contentment is the great gain. Woo! What's he saying? He's saying we're all actually looking for something as humans. We're all actually looking for something. And some take the path of thinking that gaining possessions and wealth and riches of this world is the way to get what we're all searching for. But the truth in God's instructions, how can a young person keep their way clean and free from air? Oh, to learn the fear of the Lord and to follow His commands. And Scripture's clear teaching when it comes to this world and money is, no, 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 don't pursue the money and don't pursue gain of this world. Pursue godliness. Pursue godliness. And if you pursue godliness, you'll find out that what we're all actually looking for is the great gain of contentment. You find a heart that has found what it's been searching for. It finds rest and contentment in a relationship with the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ with the communion of the Holy Spirit. That's the great gain. Godliness with contentment is the great gain. The great gain is a heart 
that's content and not condemned. And what it means is, is if worldly gain were to come and people were to praise us, the great gain is because our pursuit was actually godliness and obeying God over gain, we'll have contentment even if the gain comes. But those who just pursue gain, if gain comes, they won't have contentment and they'll be miserable even though they've got what they were thinking they were searching for. So number one, choice of pursuit. Secondly, as followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to consent to wholesome teachings and the pattern of Jesus Christ, we're faced with the choice of love. The choice of love, will we love money or we love God's favor? Will we choose to love money or choose to love God's favor? Look at the verse again, Proverbs 22 and 1. Let's see it again. Solomon, Jesus, then Paul to Timothy. He says in 22 verse 1 of Proverbs, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Watch this, loving favor rather than silver and gold. Wow. We have a choice. Will we love God's favor or will we love money and riches? Listen, money can buy you worldly gain and possessions, but it cannot by itself buy you God's favor. Listen, when money can buy you things, but once you spend the money, it can't be spent again. Listen to me. But if you love God's favor, you can spend God's favor, but when you spend it, it remains so you can keep spending God's favor. And we have a choice as followers of Jesus Christ. Will we love money that once you spend it, spend it, it can't be spent again? Or will we love God's favor because you can use God's favor, but because it remains and you love it, you can keep using it time and time again? God's favor. Because listen to me. Money actually might not be able to get you all that you desire in this world. That's why you can get more of it, but then you still need more of it because you want more of the world. But listen to me. God's favor can get you anything He determines you need in the world for His mission He's called you to. Woo-hoo. And that's why we're faced a choice. Will we choose to love money or choose to love favor? Because God's favor can get you what He needs. To get us, or to give us, so that we can fulfill His purpose for our life. Now see what Jesus said. So that's Solomon, Jesus. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 1 and 2, Matthew 6, 4, Matthew 6, uh, 5, Matthew 6, 16 through 18. You know what He said? He said, seek God's favor. How? He said, seek God's favor so that you can seek and get God's rewards. How? He said, go in the secret place. He said, seek God's favor. Seek His rewards, that He who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. I like it. Think about this. You remember Joseph in the Bible? If not, you can go read in the Old Testament. But there's a, 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 a man named Joseph. He had many brothers. He had favor on him. And the brothers got upset about the favor. And his favor was represented in the coat and a possession, meaning his favor got him a possession. And they thought, we can take the possession. So they took his coat of many colors from him. But listen. They could take his coat, but they couldn't take the favor of God on his life. And even though they could take the possessions because he kept God's favor, God's favor gave him back the coat and more. So what the Bible says is is don't seek the coat, don't seek the possessions, don't seek the love of money, seek God's favor. 
Because whether things come or go, God's favor can always get you what you need for His mission and for His will in your life. You know what also the reward is? Is if you'll pursue godliness with contentment, you know what also is the great gain? God's favor. You'll gain God's favor in your life. Experientially. He'll say, oh, all God's children has His favor. Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's true. But it does no good if you can't walk in it. And it's clear, you look around, not all of them walking in God's favor. So, the great gain, listen, godliness with contentment leads also to the great gain of experiencing God's favor. Now, Solomon, Jesus, now Paul to Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, you ready? But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare to many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men or women in destruction and perdition for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Wow. There are people who are pursuing out of love of money and out of the desire to gain things of this world and they might get it, but listen, they get it and then they're bleeding. They get it, then they're empty. They get it, then they're miserable. They get the gain they were after, but they lose the marriage that they were after. They get the gain they were after, but they lose the children that they hoped to raise. They get what they were after, but they lose what all of us ultimately desire. Why? Because they get it the wrong way. And when people love money, they will do all kinds of things to get more money. That's so what he says, at least all kinds of evil. They'll fight. Because, listen, we'll all fight for what we love. I'll fight for my kids because I love my kids. You love money, you'll fight for money. But watch this. There are people who choose to love God's favor. So instead of constantly fighting and disputing with people, you know what they'll do? They'll go wrestle with God in prayer for His favor. Now watch this because this is what he says. Very next verse. You ready? 1 Timothy 6 and 12. He says, fight the good fight of faith. The good fight of faith is if we won't love money but we'll love God's favor, then we'll we'll have to fight trusting God's favor to get us what we need to do His will. We won't fight in our own flesh and ability to get what we're loving, our money. Now watch this. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you, here it is, in the sight of God. So Paul tells Timothy, I appeal you to fight the good fight of faith, wrestle with God for His favor, meaning live with an awareness that everything you do, you do in God's sight. You're not just doing it for people to praise you. You're doing it in the sight of God for Him to favor you. And that's what Jesus said. He said, seek it in the Father in secret so He'll reward you openly. He says, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Uh, Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession that you keep the commandment without spot blameless to our Lord's appearing. He says live with this awareness that you're choosing God's favor and because you choose God's favor you live and all that you do you live with an awareness you're doing it in God's sight for God's favor. Now listen, when you live that way listen to me people who live close to us they will see the confession of that in our daily practice, that we seek God's favor more and love God's favor more than love of money. They'll see it. 
That's why he refers to the presence of many witnesses. So the choice of pursuit, the choice of love, lastly, the choice of service. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to be forced to, with this choice of choice of service. Will we serve our selfish desires or will we serve the Lord's desires? Go back to Proverbs 22 and verse 3. In fact, I encourage you, and have time today, to read the, the whole chapter of Proverbs 22 this week. In fact, it's amazing. We quote the verse, train up children in the way they should go and when they're old not depart. Do you know what that's actually talking about? It's talking about what we're talking about. It's talking about guarding them from the worldly mentality regarding money. It's all in the context if you read it. Because the very next verse talks about borrowing, slave of debt. It's all about understanding that there's these two paths of pursuit. And it's training our children in that. Of listen, not seeking to serve their desires to gain what they want in the life they want in the world. But seeking the pursuit of God's will, godliness loving His favor, and serving the Lord's desires. So Proverbs 22, verse 3, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Watch this. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life, but thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. Wow. What's going on here? What's going on? Because we've already seen that the perverse, the ungodly, can gain riches. And the perverse and the ungodly can still prosper even though they're ungodly. And the perverse and the ungodly can actually be praised by people of the world for all that they've done and all that they've accomplished and all they got in their portfolio. The difference is, is in their way of gaining, thorns and snares are in that way. Why? Because it was the choice of service. You remember what Paul said? 1 Timothy 6. That those who desire to be rich. Fall into temptation and snare. Into many foolish harmful lusts. And it says they pierce themselves. There are people that get worldly gain. And they might even get the praise of people. But the way they get it is the perverse way. Because listen, they're not actually serving the Lord. They have been serving their desires. So they might get worldly possessions and what they want. And they might get men and women to praise them. But listen, once they get it, they're bleeding and empty and broken on the inside. And miserable. Because they can get all that and miss what the other way provides. What's he say? He said... By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. There's two ways. So the question is, if we have riches in our life, or if we have honor, people honoring us, what is the way? How did we get it? There's a perverse way that will leave you empty. But then there's a way that you got it by the fear of the Lord and humility. And you know what that is? That's called, you have been obediently pursuing and following Jesus. And as you followed him, it's what it led to. See, here's the difference. The difference is the root. Am I serving my selfish desires? Or am I serving the Lord? What I have in life, have I got it through selfish desires? In the perverse way? Or have I got it by serving the Lord's desires, humility and the fear of the Lord? 
He says it was by humility and the fear of the Lord, three things came, riches, honor, and life. Wait a minute, there's people who got riches and honor. Yeah, but listen, they don't have life. Listen, the perverse way can get you riches and honor, but it can't give you life. So when I am serving my desires, those who desire to be rich, and that's actually what they're serving, that you might get riches and more possessions and a bigger portfolio and gain more of this world. And you might get honor from men and women who praise you and said you've done well for you. But listen, if you get it the perverse way by serving selfish desires and the desire to be rich, you will not have life once you get it, if you even get it. But there's another way. It's called by serving the Lord's desires. And the way of humility and the fear of the Lord, of following the Lord. And if, if riches come that way and honor comes from other people, from what's in your life, listen, what's undergirding it is life. Life. It's a different root. There's two roots, which represents the two paths of pursuit, of what we love, of what we serve. The one is the perverse way. The one is the way, the Jesus way of humility and the fear of the Lord. The first way is riches and honor, but there's no life. It's rooted, what did Paul say? It's rooted in the desire to be rich. And he said, the love of money is the root of what? Evil. Get it, but you're more evil than you started. But then he says there's another root. It's the root of life. That by serving Jesus with your strength, by obeying Jesus and where he's called you to work, in the career he has, in the calling that he has, in serving Jesus. See, life, you know what life is? He tells us in John 17. He says this is true life, that you know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. So listen, true life is a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ and communing with the Holy Spirit. And that is the root and the desire you have is the desire of what the Lord's will is for your life. It is the pursuit of being conformed to the image of Christ, pursuing godliness, and loving God's favor more than loving money. And if that's the root, listen, there is a way where it can lead also to honor and riches. It's just if honor and riches come to a follower of Jesus' life, it's because they had a path undergirded. Undergirded with following Jesus in humility and the fear of the Lord. What undergirds it is that they weren't seeking that. They just had a desire to serve and obey the Lord. To serve and obey the Lord. And some of you, if you'll serve and obey the Lord, He'll lead you to a career that if you'll be faithful in it and you'll do it unto Him, there's financial rewards in it. But there's ways that some of you might not be in a career. That long-term being faithful in it leads to, to making a lot of money like other careers. But listen, that's why you seek God's honor, God's favor system, not the honor system of the world. And He still has a way. He desires But if a follower of Jesus Christ gains riches, they gain it, not the perverse way. It was gained because they have been serving the Lord and out of humility and fear of the Lord and following Him, 
that's what that root of serving Him led to that fruit. That's what we see as the band comes. Watch this. David, the, let's go to Jesus. Jesus said, life's more than food and, and the body, more than clothing. Life is more than food. Life is more than the possessions. Jesus said, hey, don't get confused seeking the riches and the honor. The real root is seek life. And he said, I am life, and I came to give life and life more abundantly. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Follow me, and I assure you. This is Jesus' promise to you. Listen, he says, if you'll follow me, I assure you, I will get into your life anything you need for my will. The psalmist David said this, The fear of the Lord's clean, enduring forever. His judgments, His word are true and righteous. More to be desired than go. Watch this. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them is great reward. But see, this is where it depends. Do you have mentado or do you have consent to the wholesome teachings of Jesus? If you have mentado, when you hear great reward, you just think riches and people of this world honoring you. Listen. The actual great reward is godliness with contentment. And the actual great reward is God's favor. The actual great reward is life. A relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. With communion with the Holy Spirit. That's the actual great reward and great gain. So Paul, so that's Solomon to Jesus, now Paul to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 9. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Many foolish and harmful lusts. Drown them in destruction and perdition. So, so listen, he's saying don't desire to be rich. Choice of service. Don't serve desires to be rich. Choose to serve the Lord. What does the Lord wish? Now look, go to 1 Timothy 6, 17. Then Paul says, command those who are rich. What is going on here? How can Paul say, don't desire to be rich, and then he's got to then talk to the rich? How can you not desire to be rich and then be rich as a follower of Jesus? Just listen. You made the right choices. By pursuing godliness over gain, by pursuing and loving God's favor more than loving the money. You have not pursued your des as a desire to be rich. You pursued the Lord. And as you followed the Lord, He had for your path where life with Him led to honor and riches. But listen, that's called godly prosperity. And the Bible says it adds no sorrow. You get honor and possessions, but you're not bleeding when you get them. You're not discontent. You don't have a marriage that's a wreck. You don't have children that are miserable. You don't have a heart that's discontented without peace and without joy. If you get honor and possessions, you have the great gain of contentment because that's all you were seeking in the first place. You were seeking Jesus. You were seeking godliness. You were seeking God's favor. See, it's possible for everybody to get riches and honor of the world. There's only one way to get Riches honored that come from the root of life of communing with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. 
as followers of Jesus Christ, this is the teaching that we have to give consent to. Let me ask you, how are you daily pursuing godliness? How are you daily choosing to have loyal pursuit after being conformed to the image of Christ? Listen, how are you daily living with an awareness that what you do, you do in God's sight, not just the sight of other people. That what you do, you don't do just for the praises of people. You're doing it because you want God's favor on your life. Who are you serving today? Desires that are actually worldly, a desire to be rich, or are you serving the Lord? It's a choice we face. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.